Amen. Amen. Awesome. Great worship as always. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As I shared a couple weeks ago when we started this series, this is probably Paul's first letter that he ever wrote that became part of the New Testament. It may even be the earliest letter in the New Testament. Maybe James, but probably 1 Thessalonians. So Paul is laying down sort of first things. And in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, we see that each of those chapters ends with a reference to the coming of the Lord. So 1 Thessalonians then could be well known as living in light of Jesus' return. And what does that look like for us, practically speaking? So in chapter 1, Paul is addressing the church, the local church in Thessalonica. And he is sharing with them, this is what kind of church you should be. All right? We talked about that, an encouraged church, an energetic church, an exemplary church, an evangelistic church, an expectant church. Now, Paul's going to build on that in chapter 2 because in chapter 2, in the first 12 verses, and hopefully we can get through that tonight, Paul's laying down a model for ministry. If you and I as a church, if, if you and I as individual servants of the Lord, ministers of the Lord, are to look for a, a pattern, a template, a model to go by, this would certainly be one of the passages in the Word of God to go back to and find out what does God want from his ministers as we serve, from his servants. But I want to actually begin tonight, instead of in verse 1, I want to begin in verse 12, and then we'll go back to verse 1, because at the end of verse 12, or almost at the end of verse 12, Paul lays down the goal for ministry. And I want to start there, because if you and I are involved in service or ministry of the Lord, what's the goal? What are we in it for? What are we trying to encourage others to be in it for? It is this, insisting that you, here's the phrase, live in a way worthy of God. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that. Live in a way worthy of God. That is the goal of ministries and ministers from God's perspective. What does that mean? It means that our life should properly reflect the value and worth of God. That as people view our church and the life of our church, our individual lives, they should see that in our lives, the choices we make, the things that we are deciding to do and not to do, the time that we invest, the talent, all of that treasure, that, that God is of highest value, that he's of greatest worth, that he's our treasure. You know, going back to Sunday's message, when David says, I love you, Lord, and that word love speaks about God being something or someone that he cherishes and that he treasures and, and that he values above everyone and everything else. That's the goal of ministry, 
to live a life in a way that is worthy of God. We take our life on one side of the scale, and we take the value and worth of God on the other side of the scale. Is our life reflecting that? Can people look at our lives and say, oh yeah, God is very significant to them, very important to them by the way they live their lives? That's what this phrase means. Now, then let's talk about this for a minute. Going back to chapter 1 about what kind of church should we be, then that means that as a church, we should be creating an environment or maintaining an environment where all of us are being encouraged and equipped to live a life worthy of God. If we're not, then we're not being the church that we should be. If people are going to a church, a local church, where they are not living in an environment where they feel like they are continually being encouraged and equipped to live a life worthy of God, then we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark because that's the goal of ministry. That's what it's all about, creating that value and that work because then everything else flows from there. That's sort of like the Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added unto you, Jesus says. That's seeking first. That's making Jesus preeminent, the priority of our lives. As Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation chapter 2, you left your first love. It's all about value and worth. That's the goal of ministry. So with that in mind, let's talk about some of these things that we see in Paul and his companions' lives as they entered into Thessalonica and they began to minister and serve. First thing I want to point out is this. You see it three times in these 12 verses. It starts out in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters. Then if you go down to the middle of verse 2, as you know, we had the courage in our God. And then if you go down to verse 11, as you know. The key there is know. In other words, Paul is saying, we did ministry personally. We did ministry present with you. We were up close. We were right there in your midst. You know what we were about and who we were because you had access to us, we were accessible, we were approachable, and we did things together. Again, going back to what I've said many times, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them up close. That was one of the keys to their ministry in Thessalonica. They didn't come there and then distance themselves from the people in the church. They got right smack dab into the middle of them, and they began to allow God to touch lives through them. It has to be that way. Iron sharpening iron. You can't sharpen one another from a distance. You have to rub up against each other, or else the sharpening doesn't happen. And I realize, like I've said before, that doesn't mean that every last one of us at the Oasis is going to have an equally close relationship with every last person in the church. That's impossible. But it does mean that all of us 
have a responsibility before God as his ministers, as his servants, to make sure that we are rubbing up against some people in the local church. That we are building and establishing relationships and partnerships with people in our church. That's how they get to know us, and that's how we get to know them. Three times in 12 verses, Paul says to them, you know, you know. How do they know? Because they were there. They saw it with their own eyes. They saw who Paul was. They heard him. They saw him. They, that's why Jesus, when he called his disciples, what did he say? Come and follow me. And like I said, they did life together for three years. They were with Jesus through thick and thun. thin. That's the best way to learn. You've heard me say this many times before. Faith is caught as much as it is taught. It's caught as much as it is taught. But that means we've got to be together, folks. And that's one of the things that we see here about the aspect of a model for ministry. Then notice also in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It has not proven to be purposeless or fruitless or in vain or without any kind of positive effect. Paul is saying, look, we came to you and we did what God asked of us, but the results, the response, that was up to you. And you proved that you opened your heart to the word of God and to the spirit of God and you allowed God to work in your life. We've talked about that in chapter 1. They were an energetic church. They became an exemplary church. They became an evangelistic church. They became an expectant church and an encouraged church. They became all those things because they were open to God working in their lives through his servants. But Paul's also saying, but when you and I serve and minister, it's not up to us, nor are we responsible before God about what the response is of the people we're ministering to. That's between them and God. All God asks of us is that we be faithful to what God has asked of us and what he's called us to. Again, to me, one of the best biblical examples of that is, is Noah. Because Noah was honored by God. I mean, he's in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He is called a preacher of righteousness. He's called a man of faith. He walked with God, and yet, and yet, he preached for a long time while he was building that ark, and nobody got on that boat but his family members. And yet, before God, he was not considered a failure. That's where we've got to get out of our minds this worldly mindset, this, this mindset that we measure our success as servants and ministers by how many people we get. Jesus... He would have been considered a failure in our day because actually the longer his ministry went, the more people dropped off, you know, because he wasn't in it to build a crowd. He was in it to get people to be totally committed to him. And when it come right down to it, most people weren't willing to be totally committed and surrendered to him. They walked away because it was too hard. It was too demanding. It was too much sacrifice. And so they walked away. And so that's an important aspect of being a model for me. Don't worry about the response. Don't worry about the crowd or how many people. If you're doing what God asks you to do, then you be secure in that. 
not in the response. Because sometimes we won't get the response, maybe. But Paul, at least, says, for the most part, my ministry bore fruit. And I'm, I'm happy for that, for your sake, for your sake. Then notice verse 2, another aspect of ministry. He says, although we suffered, that's an important, and were mistreated earlier in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. Notice the word suffered, mistreated, and opposition, all in verse 2. Paul is saying, you want to minister for the Lord? Ministry is not for the faint of heart. You're going to get pushed back from, from our spiritual enemy, from the world, and from your own flesh, and even sometimes from your fellow believers. It, it, you're going to get pushed back. You're going to have resistance. But can you keep going? Because notice, a key to being a model for ministry is that phrase in verse 2. We had the courage, the confidence, the boldness in our God to keep going in spite of the pushback. We all need, if we're going to be effective servants and ministers of the Lord, we need to follow that kind of model. You see? Because it's going to be there continually. And, and that's something, too, is to, to wrap our minds around the reality of suffering, mistreatment, persecution, tribulation, trouble, call it whatever you want to, opposition. Jesus laid it all out there. That's to be expected by his people, especially if we're making ripples in the spiritual world. But can we keep going, having courage and confidence and boldness in our God to continue to do what God has called us to do in spite of it? In spite of it, you see. And that was Paul. The measure of a person is what it takes to get them to quit. That's the measure of a person. What's it going to take to make us throw in the towel and stop because, it's, again, we're facing too many obstacles, too many challenges, too much sacrifice. Paul is saying, hey, you all know, you know what we dealt with in Philippi, and we could have easily walked out of Philippi and said, we're done, God. We're done. We're getting chewed up and spit out. But no. They just marched into Thessalonica and did the very same thing, knowing that as soon as they start declaring the gospel and preaching the word of God, boy, it's going to start inciting and stirring things up. And that's what it does here. That's what it does everywhere. The word of God stirs things up. Then verse 4, another aspect of ministry being approved by God. Notice he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The word approved means to be tested or tried. So notice what Paul is saying. He's saying that God will test and try his own servants in order to prove their trustworthiness before he entrusts them with the true riches of the kingdom. So if you and I 
want to serve God at a higher level. We want God to give us more. We want him to entrust into our, our hands more than he's going to put us through tests. He's going to try us in order to see where we're at. In a sense, what I referenced at the beginning of our service tonight, Abraham, that was a test. Go up, take your son, your only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him. It was a test. God was never going to actually take Isaac's life, but God wanted to see, do you love me more than you love your son? Test. And God's going to test our hearts. In fact, he's going to continually test our hearts throughout our life. Because our hearts are always like being pulled, being distracted. Uh, our hearts are, there's always things out there that's trying to tug at our heart other than God. That's why I notice at the end of verse 4, he says, so we have been entrusted with the gospel and we declare it not to please people, but God who examines our hearts. And again, that phrase in the original language means God continually examines and tests and tries our heart. Because remember, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things to guard our heart. Out of the heart are the, all the issues of life. It's the very center of our being. All of our desires and all of our dreams and all of our, you know, choices and decisions, it all flows out of our heart, which is, again, is why God wants our heart above all things. Everything else will take care of itself. But you can better believe that if you and I are going to serve the Lord, our heart is going to be continually tested by God. Because God wants to entrust us with things, but he will not hand things over until he knows that he can trust us. Notice something else about ministry, another aspect. Did you see at the end of verse 4 that ministers are not to be in it to please people but God? And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, nor to even seek glory or praise from people, either from you or from anyone? What are we in it for? Are we in ministry and service to try to accommodate and please everybody? First of all, you can't do it, so don't even try. Are we in it because we want the applause of men? Or are we primarily being motivated by, again, the audience of one? God, it's all about pleasing you and doing what you want to do. And that means sometimes that to please God, that means I'm not going to please people. And let me just say this to the side. This is not meant probably as negative to you all as it's going to come out, but I'm going to use Nicole and I as an example because we obviously stand before you several times every week. We love you guys. You guys are awesome to, to lead and all of that. And, and you have some great ideas and suggestions and all that, but you have to understand, we get suggestions and ideas from a lot of people at the church. And it's not that we don't appreciate those. But please understand, at the end of the day, 
She's going to choose songs that God is leading her to do, not trying to accommodate to what all the people want. And that I'm not going to teach every verse and every passage that you may want me to teach. I'm going to teach the passages that God has led me to teach. Because again, here's the thing about church ministry, the way it should be done. Most of the time, I'm going to say 90% of the time, all for all of us. It's not about what we want, it's about what we need. And only God knows what we all need. That's where church isn't about doing it the way we want it to please us. It's about doing what God knows we need more than anything else. In fact, keep your finger there. We're going to come right back there. But here's a, here's a good verse. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This goes right along with what Paul's saying. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what Paul writes in Galatians 1, 10. He says, am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Question mark. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Well, that's pretty straightforward. I've got to make a choice. I'm either going to be a slave to people, to their expectations, to their wants, to their desires, to, you know, their felt needs, to all of that, or I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And that means that if I'm doing what God wants me to do as a leader in his church, then you and I are all going to be ministered to, and we're going to get what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need. That's a model for ministry. That's a model for ministry right there. All right, back to 1 Thessalonians. Notice also in verse 7, he said, we could have come in and imposed our weight as apostles of Christ. In other words, we could have come in and thrown our weight around. But that's not the way God wants us to be as ministers and servants. So notice what he said. Instead, we became little children among you. Now that primarily means two things. That means we did not come on a platform of pride and superiority. We came in amongst you all as equals before the Lord. We have a different role to play, but we are no better than you. And so we came in humility as a little child, right? But here's the other aspect of that. In the original language, I love this. It means to keep things simple. I mean, people always ask me, why do you try to do the things that you do here at the Oasis? Because I want to keep things simple. And so often in church ministry, we complicate things. God doesn't want us to make church and life with him complicated to where we've got all this extra stuff to try to figure out. No, keep it simple. So as you've heard me say, that's why we have two pillars here at the church. Worship and the Word. And worship complements the Word, and the Word complements worship, and that's what you're going to find us doing on Wednesday and Sunday. We're not going to do much else other than that. Keep it simple. And I will say this. One of the highest compliments you can ever pay me as a pastor, teacher, 
is that I make the Bible simple, understandable. And if you've said that to me at some time, then you've heard me say back to you, you don't understand. I've got to do that for me first. I'm not really doing it for you. I'm doing it for me because I've got to break it down and I've got to make it simple for Jeff. You're just getting the leftovers from what I have to process through. Because we all know there are people out there, and I had them in seminary, I had them in school, I had them in college, or even outside, in church. Brilliant people. People who would have had, in fact, can I, and I'm not just saying it, probably every last person in our church has a higher IQ than Jeff does. Okay, I'm just saying, I'm not a smart person. But there are people out there, they're brilliant, and they've got more knowledge in their little pinky than I've got in my whole body. And yet I have sat under them, and I've tried, and I'm like, it just just flies over my head. I'm just sitting there just sort of like, am I the only one not getting this? I just don't get it. It's just too hard to understand. I need simple. I want simple. I want things from God's word that I can literally understand and also apply very simply to my life. I don't want all this, you know, pie in the sky, by and by, so, you know, what's good is that doing me in my everyday Christian life? If it can't be something that I can apply and and, and it can make a difference in my everyday Christian life, then... So I love that. We kept it simple when we were with you. And that's a good model for all of us. Nicole, that's one of her goals in worship. Keep it simple. Let's not be up here, you know, even as musicians. And we've got talented musicians. They could do a lot more. Our vocalists could do a lot more. But they're leading a group of people, and most of us don't have a musical background. We'd get lost. Plus, I know Nicole's heart. She wants us to focus on God, which is the right thing, right? Not the ability and the skill and the talent of the people who are up here. And that's what I love about her and the way she leads us in worship is all these people up on the platform leading us, they get lost behind God. When we're doing worship here, it's all about focusing on God. And that should be the way it is when we're doing worship and we're doing the word or anything. It shouldn't be about the human instrument. It should be about the God behind the human instrument. Because we're nothing. We're just dust. Then notice two more. Like a nursing mother. So a child, childlike, got to do ministry childlike but then got to do ministry like a good mother. Now, again, God is going to use a standard for a mother and a father in this passage that, that even would be a great encouragement to all the moms and dads out there, okay? So let's start with the mother. These words about this nursing mother caring for her own children with such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. All of this really exemplifies and, and expresses what a real good mother physically is, not just spiritually. 
So let's break it down and talk about a few of these things. In the phrase, like a nursing mother caring for her own child, it's talking about the tender care of a mother. Holding her children, especially, obviously, young children, in her arms. It's talking about a mother who is a nourisher and a nurturer. Because a great mom is going to do both. She's going to nourish her children, and she's going to nurture her children. Obviously, verse 8, having affection. And, and being a mom that isn't just willing to do the work that's needed to be done for her family and for her children, but literally laying down her Life. Notice Paul says, but also our own lives. Folks, that's ministry. Ministry isn't just something that we do. Ministry and service for the Lord is our life. It's our life. I want you to know, I don't go home and forget about you. My job is not nine to five. My ministry is my life. So it's 24 seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I, even when I take time off, you gotta understand, I don't want to, I know I need to. So I will a couple times a year, but I miss you all, and I miss being here, and I know I'm missing out on not being here, and it's because you all are dear to me. You're family. You're my spiritual family, and that's the way all of us should, should be ministering, like a nurturing and nourishing mother, the characteristics of a mother, caring tenderly for those that we're ministering to. But then notice also in verse 11 and 12, as a father. And what kind of father does God say a good father is? Well, one who is interested and involved with his own children. Who? You know, in our society today, that's not always the case. Sometimes the fathers abdicate their responsibility and their role to, and dump it all on the mother. And they're not at all interested or involved in their children's lives and what's going on. No, a good father, because again, who's all this modeled after? God. Who's like this? God. So God is saying, be like I am. To you. I was willing to be a child, to come in human flesh, in the incarnation, and to be amongst you and to humble myself, even as God. And I kept things simple. I didn't overcomplicate things. I was very clear, I was very direct, but it wasn't anything that children couldn't understand, right? And he's Jesus. I was also in your midst like a nursing mother. We read the Gospels and you see the care and the concern 
and the love that Jesus had for people. You read verses like Jesus wept. He was moved with compassion over and over again. He was a nurturer. He was a nourisher. I can only imagine when, when you walked with Jesus when he was here on earth, man, you probably left his presence and it was just like exhilarating. But he was also a father figure, one who was very interested and involved with his spiritual children. And then notice, what else should a father be doing? Exhorting and encouraging you and insisting that you, what? Live in a way worthy of God. So here we go. We'll wrap this up. A couple things out of verse 12. The words exhorting and encouraging speak about strengthening and, oh, fellas especially, calming, <laughs> comforting, cheering, let me give you an illustration. When I played sports, I literally had coaches, referees or officials, or even players on sports teams tell their dads not to come to the sporting event. Because their father was anything than a strength by his presence, and a calming presence, and a comforting and a cheering presence. No, his presence there was upsetting to the player. His presence there got their son or daughter all in knots. And they could not perform to their highest level because of the presence of their father. God is saying that's not how it should be with us fathers, nor should it be that way with us as ministers. If we are with someone it shouldn't be like we make them so nervous and, and so because we're, we're going to, you know, they think we're going to bite their head off or, or you know, we're going to be so hypercritical or judge every little thing they do and micro... No, we're going to be a calming presence. We're going to be a cheering presence, a comforting presence, a strength to them rather than a presence that upsets them to where they cannot perform at the highest level. But to balance that out, a good father, though, will also do this. The last phrase I want us to look at. Insisting, affirming that they live in a way worthy of God. In other words, the father, though, does not lower the standard. The standard remains high. Do your best. Be the best you can do. Do not lower it. Listen, this is the great thing about God is so merciful, so forgiving, all of that. Obviously, our failures, but God, unlike the world today, doesn't keep lowering the standard in order to accommodate more people. God says, here's my standard, and I'm not changing it. This is the goal. And a father, according to God, can balance maintaining a high standard for his children spiritually 
or physically, and yet at the same time be a presence in their life that does not intimidate them, upset them, uh, but actually is able to bring out the best in them because as they come alongside of their children, they're a strength to their children. They're an encouragement to their children. They're a calming presence rather than a presence that's going to get them all wound up and upset. And so I love how Paul just lays out to the Thessalonians. Why? Because Paul wants them to replicate and in a sense duplicate how they were treated when they ministered because they're now becoming a church that is exemplary. They're now being used by God in ministry and in service. And now Paul and his companions have given them an example to follow. And Paul's saying, here it is, folks in Thessalonica, this is how you do ministry. See, I, I love God for so many reasons, and one of them is God doesn't leave us to grope around trying to figure it out for ourselves. If we will just get into his word, he gives us all the details of how we should do what we should do. Even parenting. In a passage that has really nothing to do with parenting, but ministry, and yet he uses the example of a mother and a father. And we can glean lots of good things if we just get into the word of God. You all, you're an amazing group of ministers and servants. But we can always, keeping that standard high, we still got room to grow, amen? And so we're at the oasis we're not going to lower the standard. The standard is always going to be this. The standard and the goal of our ministry at the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona, is to live lives worthy of our God, because he is worthy. Father, we thank you tonight for the amazing time we've had in your house. We thank you, God, for the worship. We thank you, God, for this supernatural book that you have given to us, your very word, your breath, God, that can infuse into our lives your life, your wisdom. And Lord, I pray tonight that as folks of the Oasis, that we will sort of all recommit ourselves to being servants, to being ministers, and to realize, Lord, that it's not something that we just do every once in a while. It's, it's who we are. We, as your people, are your servants. It's our life. And God, everywhere we go and everyone we meet, we are a servant of the Most High God. Lord, would you take us all home tonight? And Lord, would you give the ladies this weekend up in Prescott just a great retreat? Would you work in that retreat and touch lives? And God, then would you extend your grace and favor and blessing also down here on Sunday and give us a couple of great times together as, as your people here as well? And then bring all those gals safely back from Prescott on Sunday afternoon. God, thank you for the wonderful youth retreat that our youth had this past weekend and for their safety traveling up and traveling back to Sholo. And God, we just pray that 
Lord, uh, we would just continue to just follow you, Lord, in whatever you ask of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much.